0: Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 73 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were at MetLife Stadium on Monday Night Football to watch the Giants defeat the Cincinnati Bengals 21-20. The Giants now have won four games in a row, sit at 6-3, and talk of the playoffs permeating through the fan base, as it should be right now considering where the Giants stand in the conference james we'll start with you um that game on monday night it was very close the giants and bengals trade scores early early and then it turns into a defensive struggle and again i mean it's a theme of this year the opposite of last year the giants find ways to win close games they've won six games by i believe a total of 21 points in those
1: games it's just it's a remarkable you know 180 from last year definitely i mean it's not pretty i don't think it's ever been pretty this year but now i think you just have to kind of accept this is what the giants are they're a team that they have f- significant flaws and you saw some of those flaws on display against the bengals but they find a way to pull through in the end and they make the plays at the end and they win these games so i think that you know all season we've kind of waited for you know the pass rush to come together and it's it's starting to get there they've been much better the past few weeks but it's still you know near the bottom of the league you know the offense it's having its moments, but it's also you know, having it long stretches of games when they struggle. But I think this is what the Giants are, and what they are is 6-3, and three, and they're a serious contender in the NFC, warts and all. And I just think this is how they're going to have to win games down the stretch, and now we just have to see if they can continue to do so.
0: Yeah, it does feel like that, that they, they have those warts, but they're winning games, and um, they're a contender. They are. And Dan, when you look at that game on Monday night, the, the thing that stood out to me I mean, the defense, you know, we talked about it all year, what they can be, what they were, all the guys they brought in. You know, after that big play to Eifert in the, on the first drive by the Bengals, the Giants' defense really clamped down on a, an offense that has some playmakers. I mean, they were good on Monday night.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of been the story all year. And uh, even the numbers don't show how good this defense has been for the fact that they get put in bad spots so many times. You know I mean? It seems like every time there's a turnover, it's it's deep in Giants' territory or – uh, they let up the long kick return uh, last night. They had a long punt return against the Eagles, and this defense just finds a way to just bail them out over and over again. And it's it's really impressive. I mean, they don't yeah you know, they don't have these numbers that jump off the page, but at the end of the day, they have six wins. So that's that's you know the only number that really matters. And um, I think it really is just a testament to this defense uh, just constantly digs in and never really just gives in. Even you know, even they give up the long pass to Eifert, you know they run them down. Granted, the Bengals still score. But it just seems like there's a lot of fight in this defense. And, uh, you know, again, I wasn't here last year, but it doesn't sound like, you know, this team obviously didn't finish many games. So it seems like that's probably something that was lacking. Obviously, talent was a big issue, too. Um, but yeah, I think everything you're seeing from this defense this year is exactly what you're going to hope for. Because, again, I, I go back to this, you know, I think it feels like every week this was the worst defense in the NFL, one of the worst defenses ever last year. So uh, the, the transformation to what they are now is pretty remarkable.
0: It is. I mean, James, as Dan just mentioned, talent. That wasn't there last year. I mean, last year they were historically bad. Uh, This year, right now, they're 11th now after the game on Monday night. We're doing this podcast on a Tuesday in points per game allowed. And, you know, James, the box score doesn't always tell the story, but just looking at it this morning, the top three in tackles for the Giants on Monday night, Olivier Vernon, 10 tackles. He added a sack. Damon Harrison, eight tackles. And Janoris Jenkins, who had six. And I thought he did a great job overall on A.J. Green. I mean, that's the Giants went out and spent a lot of money, and it feels like these guys are they're they're worth the money
1: right now. Definitely. I think at this point, nine games in, you have to say that Jerry Reese's two hundred million dollar experiment has been I'm not gonna say a resounding success because, you know, they're not at, you know, top ten defense. I mean, although I think that they're kind of progressing toward that way, they still give up a lot of empty yards. But no, I mean this is what the Giants had to do. They, they set out to rebuild this defense, and it's holding up right now through nine games, and they're starting to get more of an edge. They're starting to get to the quarterback more. They're starting to, I mean, they keep. I think they might be still tops in red zone defense. I mean, how many times this year, as Dan said, have the Giants' offense or the special teams put the defense in a really bad spot and they've managed to keep it to three points and then give the Giants a shot down the stretch? Last year it would have been seven, seven, seven. And it wouldn't have been like seven like after a couple of plays. It would have been like the second two plays, seven. You know, the Giants defense last year. I mean, look, it's amazing what a team can do when they have eleven starters who actually should be playing in the NFL on the field.
0: Yeah, that changes things. It really does. And the numbers are just eye-popping against the Bengals. They only allowed 264 yards, only 12 first downs. They dominated the game. They gave the Giants a chance at the end to go ahead and win it. And Dan, I thought it was a fascinating call by Ben McAdoo, and I guess you guys weren't so surprised because Ben had been talking about being aggressive. But sitting there in the you know the fourth quarter, Giants down twenty to fourteen, a fourth down uh, from the three yard line. I assumed at that moment they would kick the field goal. Still a lot of time left in that game, multiple possessions you'd imagine left. But McAdoo went for it, and I think the, the most interesting part, Dan, there was no hesitation. The Giants, it, it felt like the plan was they were going to try to score a touchdown to go ahead there, which
2: they did. Yeah, I mean, Eli Manning actually said as much. He said before second down, which, you know, that's pretty early uh, in the downs to be talking about going for it on fourth down. It happened to – second down happened uh, right as the third quarter, you know, transformed to the fourth quarter. So he was on the sideline with McAdoo, and, and he told him, you know, this is four down territory, and that's, you know, second and goal from the nine. Uh, but I think that helps Eli in that situation because it affects, obviously, with the decisions he makes. You know, he threw an in incompletion on second down, but on third and goal – he was able to, you know, check down to Tavares King to pick up six yards and get down to the three, rather than, you know, maybe trying to force something in the end zone and then you got to kick it from the nine, obviously. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, Mackey, has said he's going to be aggressive, uh, he's backed it up. I mean, obviously, that can backfire. If you, you know, we saw it with Philly last week. If you get too aggressive, it sometimes is just not smart football. But if you are successful, it's just going to build confidence. The players love it because it's showing trust and faith in them. And I think another uh, factor in that is, you know. If you don't get it, McAdoo is showing a lot of faith in the defense, too. He he feels, all right, well, if we don't get this, we're going to stop him, you know, three and out, and, and you know, punt and still have good field positions. So I think there was a lot that went into that decision, and like I said, I think it's just a really rewarding uh, feeling for the players to have your coach show that faith, and then, obviously, uh, you have to cash in on it. So, uh, hey, you know, he, he pushed the right buttons last night. I didn't agree with the decision in, in real time, but, hey, um, it paid off, so you can't argue it. James, what did you think of the decision in the moment
0: and then just Overall, the way McAdoo, you know, approached that and and how it wasn't a question. He he was going for it.
1: In the moment I thought you have to take the points, I think most everyone in the stadium probably thought you have to take the points, just because now if there were eight minutes left in the game, I would have said go for it. But when you basically was, you know, like the first or second play of the fourth quarter, they basically had a full quarter ahead of them over 14 minutes. So I would have taken the points there. Obviously, that's why I am doing the talk is cheap podcast this morning, and Ben McAdoo is preparing for the Chicago Bears and watching the film from the Bengals. But I thought, look, I think McAdoo—he's made very clear he he wants to be aggressive. What I think it's kind of interesting that his play calling is. There are times early in games, especially I think when you know the Giants have you know fourth and short, you know somewhere around midfield, where he won't be very aggressive, and he'll punt the ball away, and you'll kind of think, well. That doesn't really jibe with what he said. His you know that doesn't really go with what he says his philosophy is. But this was a situation where he definitely lived up to his you know I'm going to be aggressive philosophy, and it paid off for the Giants. It could have easily backfired, and who knows what would have happened. But in a, in a weekend where the NFL saw a lot of screwy things with two point conversions and all that, I think Ben McAdoo, in hindsight, was right to go for that call there if because he had confidence in the offense to get it. In a moment, I would have kicked the three, but afterwards, hindsight's 2020, and I think he made the right call.
0: You know, guys, I sit here and we're talking about this team, and, and James a few minutes ago mentioned that this is a serious contender in the NFC, and it's it's hard to say they're not because they're six and three, and they'd be in the playoffs if if you know if it started today. But it's weird at the same time, Dan. They still have a minus point differential. They still have you know more have given up more turnovers, I guess is the word to say, or had more turnovers than they've taken the ball away. They've won these close games. I mean, nine games in, what do you make of this? I mean, is it a little bit of luck? I mean, do you give them credit for, you know, when teams can find a way in games? Is that kind of something we look at and say, that's a good notch on them, that's an attribute? Or is some of this just kind of happenstance that they're they're finding a way to win?
2: I mean, a couple of thoughts. Yeah, it is re- remarkable. I just looked up before we started this, and they're minus two in point differential. That That's uh, hard to be six and three and, and be negative point differential, especially it's not like they had one blowout that really skewed the numbers, but... I mean, hey, they're just finding a way, and I don't think, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of luck involved, sure, but when you do it week after week, at some point you have to just tip your cap and say, this team finds a way. You know, I go back to what McAdoo said, I believe, it was after the Eagles game, that the team believes. And again, I think that that's one of those intangible things that, you know, pro football focus can't put a number on it, but there's something to be said for these guys, uh, you know, for whatever reason, have been able to pull out close game after close game. I mean, you look at the stretch they've had. These have been a lot of teams that are sort of in that middle of the pack that we kind of put the Giants in, and the Giants keep knocking them off. So at some point you say, well, maybe the Giants are, are a step ahead of those teams. Granted, you know, the margins, it's not significant, but the nice thing about a Monday night game is, you know, I got to watch a lot of games on Sunday, and that's pretty much how the NFL is. There, You know, there's a blowout here and there, but for the most part, it's a lot of games that come down to the wire. So if you have a team uh, that can win these games consistently, Obviously, it's going to bode well down the stretch because these are the types of games you're going to be in. So they're building up, you know, a lot of muscle memory of how to pull out these games. Certainly could be a lot prettier, you know, in quarters one through, you know, three and a half where uh, the offense seems to go in the tank for stretches every game. Um, the, you know, defense will have a letdown here or there. Uh, but the way they're finishing these games, I think uh, you got to start to say this seems for real because, you know, you're not going to accidentally win six games uh, in the NFL in, in the manner that they've won them.
0: Yeah, that it's hard to do that, right? And like you said, week in, week out, it seems like they're doing it. James, in terms of them being for real, I think the couple things Gi- Giants fans wanted to see is the pass rush finally get home. They did that against the Bengals. And then, late in the game, the ability to run the clock out with the running game, which is something they... Ha- I mean, they haven't been able to run the football all year. Last night, on Monday night, they ran it effectively at the end, especially Rashad Jennings, when he had to.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was that was huge for the Giants, I think, you know, a lot of people have ripped their run game, present company included, and they—they they look. I think you have to keep it in context of the Bengals did enter the game with the 23rd ranked rush defense in the NFL, so that has to be noted. But the Giants finally ran the ball, and not only did they run the ball. I mean, they've run the ball earlier this year, but the way they ran the ball at the end of the game, that was a situation where ten times out of ten in the past, the Giants would have not gotten the first down. They would have to punt the ball back to the Bengals and put the defense back on the field in a tough spot, having to hold down the stretch against, a, as you said, Joe, a Bengals team that has got a lot of playmakers. But the way Rashad Jennings ran the ball, I know I talked to him after the game. He didn't, you know, he said he didn't feel like he was making a statement. He, he's confident and he knows what he can do. But I thought it was a statement for Jennings. I mean, there's there was a lot of calls for the Giants just to push into the side and give Paul Perkins the rock and and, and roll with him as their featured back. And I think Jennings, I mean, he didn't completely silence those cries. They're still going to be there. But for him to step up and have those big runs down the stretch, to show some quickness and to to hit the hole fast, that's what the Giants need. Because the Giants need him on the field because of his pass protection duties. They know that Perkins is still a little shaky there. But they need Jennings to be productive down the stretch. Because as we've written and said time and time again, This team is not really going anywhere if they can't run the football. They're always going to be a pass-first offense. That's always going to be what they're based on. But you have to run the ball in November and December, especially in this NFC East where the other three teams in the league, they all ran the ball extremely effectively on Sunday. That was one thing that stood out to me. They ran the ball well. Now the Giants have to do the same and prove that they're built to handle this home stretch.
0: Yeah, it almost feels like the old school NFC East is kind of coming back a little bit here, Dan. A few minutes before we we started recording this, you you tweeted out a photo of Eli Manning at the line in the shotgun last night. I think it was from that last drive when they closed it out. And you know, last week we talked a little bit about how you know Eli's ability to play every week is is kind of the most underrated attribute of his career. I, I think one of the other ones with him is. He always seems to put the Giants in the right play. I mean, sometimes he makes a, a silly throw or he throws in a coverage like he did against the Bengals and throws the fourth-quarter interception, and that's part of Eli's game that people just shake their heads at. But, I mean, his ability to read the defense at the line, and it always feels like he checks the Giants into a play that is a better chance than maybe the one they started with. Is that what you were tweeting about? It Was that you, kind of what you were talking about on Monday or Tuesday morning?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was that third and six uh, around midfield. Uh, you know, Jennings was on his left side. They're in the shotgun before the snap. Eli shifts him to the right side. So I don't know if – someone told me they checked. I don't know if it was checked from a pass to a run or just, you know, he changed the run, but clearly he changed something. And in the picture I took, you could see that uh, a linebacker and safety were sort of leaving the box. So it was really six on five. The Giants had the numbers advantage in the box. I think the Bengals, you know, understandably thought they were probably going to throw in that situation. So Eli checks and uh, hands off to Jennings. Got some great blocks in the middle there from uh, Richburg and Marshall Newhouse. Cleared the path for that big eight-yard run that you know essentially iced the game. Obviously uh, Jennings broke the twenty-five yarder to really put it away. But yeah, I mean like you said, he, he puts the team in the right plays. You know, obviously more often than not, there's a lot on his shoulders. I mean you can tell they get up to the line and then he pretty much decides what's going to happen. Obviously there's a, there's a play call that comes in, but you know Eli's in control and. I think there have been times early in the year where yeah, I was a little critical that maybe he was checking into runs too often because at some point you got to you know go to your strength, which is throwing the ball and throwing the ball to Odell Beckham. But in that situation, you have to tip your cap because he clearly read the defense accurately, uh, moved Jennings, you know, and, and obviously when it works, uh, you deserve the credit. But yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, the durability and just the intelligence back there. You can't put a price tag on. I mean, obviously, you'd probably rather not see him throw a bomb into triple coverage uh, with a one-point lead in fourth quarter. Uh, but as you said, that's kind of just part of the package with Eli.
0: James, we started this show, and you started it by talking about the Giants being a contender, and and it's true. And I, I think playoffs are a word now that that exists among Giants fans, again, for the first time in a while— uh, it's serious. I mean, last year was there because you know the division was bad, but they're six and three now, and they've won four in a row, and they have two games coming up here against the Bears and Browns, which they will be heavy favorites in uh, to move to eight and three before December hits. Do they have the formula to really scare teams in the NFC? I, I was watching the game against the Bengals, and I s- I sort of just think of how teams in January, you know, how do they win, right? And the Giants have a quarterback they trust, they have big weapons. And if the pass rush starts coming along and the defense seems like it's coming along as a whole, I, I have a feeling they, they do. I mean, do you feel that way too, that they they might be able to be better than we thought they were going to be this year?
1: Uh you know, we've talked about you know the, the minus eight turnover differential, the point differential. I think those are are statistics the Giants can continue to win with, but at some point, those numbers are going to catch up to you. And I just look at this Giants team – I look. I think at 6-3, with the, with the Browns and the Bears coming up, if the Giants do not make the playoffs this year, it is a colossal failure. I think this is what it is. This Giants team has gotten to the point where if they don't make the playoffs, they screwed something up, and they should be extremely disappointed. A couple weeks ago, I would have told you if this team goes 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, doesn't make the playoffs, there will be significant progress in Ben McAdoo's first year. You know, making the playoffs would be great, but it, it's not the be-all end all. I think now this team has to make the playoffs or else, you know, it's a failure. I don't know what you guys think about that. But then when I look at them going to the playoffs, I just think maybe they can win a game or two there. You know, obviously I don't think teams are gonna want to play the Giants with Eli Manning and the pass rush, and it's a team that you know, the players on this team, they weren't part of those Super Bowl runs, but there's always that sort of institutional memory that hangs over the Giants that they know how to win when they get to the playoffs. The guys who are wearing the, the uniform currently, most of them have not won in the playoffs, but I think there's kind of an aura that you know, once they get there, they're going to know what to do. That being said, I, I just think the turnover differential, the point differential, that's something that it catches up to you, and it catches up to you fast when you get to the, the tournament. So I think it's a team, yeah, they, they're going to scare people, but I don't think this is a Super Bowl contender yet. I, I think they're still a step ahead of the Cowboys and the Seahawks and the NFC. You
0: know, I, my, my gut tells me you're right, James, but I've, I've started to go a little bit the other way the last couple of weeks just thinking the NFC's wide open. They've already beat the Cowboys, and with their defensive line, I almost feel like, you know, no, I don't think any team would feel as confident as the Giants mm-hmm. to go into Dallas in January and play with them. Dan, what do you, what do you think about the ceiling here and, and really the Giants? Have you started to think differently about how far they could go?
2: Uh no, I mean, I said last week I think that they're you know a playoff team and, and once you get in there, it's wide open. This isn't really a year where there's you know one dominant team. Obviously, I know the Cowboys have the record that says that, but again, the you know the Giants beat them already right the season. Uh, it's not as if the Cowboys have no flaws. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you look at last night, even a lot of the sort of Achilles heels that they were able to overcome, it really wasn't a big problem last year. I mean, the turnover margin, they lost two to one. Might have been the first time all season, or you know, it's been very rare that they won the time of possession battle. Uh, they had more yardage, so it wasn't like last night was a game that oh wow, they really got lucky. I mean, I think they outplayed the Bengals. I mean, even when you look at the Bengals, they had one huge play on a completely funky formation right out of the gates to you know pick up 70 something yards to Eifert, and really, other than that, they shut him down and for more or less, they shut the Bengals offense down. So, I think last night is a game that should only build confidence where maybe some of those you know, earlier wins, I mean, hey, a win is a win in this league. Some of those early wins, you might say, hey, they got lucky there. I think they, you know, they deserve to win as, you know, we've kind of covered the defense stepped up, the offense finished. Um, it's not a perfect team. You find me a perfect team in the NFL, you know I mean? It's it's uh, it's a, you know, a lot of flawed teams in this league. I definitely would agree that, you know, the Seahawks, you know, they look pretty good on Sunday night and you obviously don't want to go out there, but that's getting a little far down the road. Still a lot of, a lot of football left before we start worrying about, you know, what seed they're going to have and, and where they might play a playoff game. But I think right now, uh, hey, they have no reason. You know, I think Odell said after the game that they're thinking about Houston. I mean, no reason not to. I mean, they're certainly uh, in the hunt, and that's all you can ask for at this point.
1: It is. I mean, no, are we I, all in agreement? Good point. Go ahead, James. Are we all in agreement that if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's a failure?
2: Uh, yeah, I would point, say it's, I would say three. so. Just because of these next two games, you're going to be looking at eight and if they're not eight and three, that's that's a mini failure right there. There's no no excuse, no reason to lose these next two games. So if you're sitting at eight and three. And somehow don't get in unless it's one of those really fluky years where like an eleven and five team doesn't get in, which you know happens every blue moon. And I don't really see that happening with the way the NFC is shaping up. So yeah, if they get to eight and three, uh, and they should get to eight and three, I'd say definitely it'd be a failure if they don't get in.
0: Yeah, I would say it's very disappointing to go from six and three to not make it, especially like Dan just said, the way the NFC is. I mean, I think ten wins is you're going to be home and you're going to be in. But I will say this, and I think they're going to win the next two games. I mean, the Bears and the Browns are just really awful football teams and they get the bears at home but if they do somehow slip up one of the next two weeks i don't know if they will make it i mean that that's how the whole thing's kind of on thin ice as good as they've played lately because i look at the last what four games guys five games at steelers cowboys lions who are you know not a bad team at all at eagles on a thursday night at redskins i i think they'll win the next two james but Winning the the fi- two of the final five, they should, but it, it won't be easy. Like those are five difficult games in a row.
1: No, they are. They're very difficult. I mean, I, I think the if they're eight and three, I think they're going to go into Pittsburgh with a lot of confidence, just because the Steelers are, are, have kind of slipped up a little bit. Although I think as Ben Roethlisberger gets healthier, you're going to see Pittsburgh kind of put it together, especially since that AFC North is kind of wide open. But I, I just think you're absolutely right. I mean. The Bears, I will get to the Bears in a second. Uh, complete tire fire. Browns probably might not win a game this year. The Giants have to be 8-3. and three. And you know what? I think not only should the Giants have to be 8-3, and three, they've won all these close games this year. Pretty much since I've been covering the team, every win they've ever had is close. They need to go out the next two weeks. And you know, I know the NFL doesn't really have blowouts, but they need to go put up double-digit victories on these two teams. I think that will be the next progress step in their progression to go out there against vastly inferior opponents and beat them up a little bit and then coast into that game in Pittsburgh and see what you can make do.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, that would give them a, a boost and uh, and obviously eight and three would put them in the upper echelon of teams in the NFL. And I think it would probably reopen up the idea of them maybe catching the Cowboys, right, Dan? I mean, if they get to eight and three, the Pittsburgh game is the one game in between before Dallas comes into, into MetLife stadium you know, all it would take, I guess, at that point would be Dallas slipping up at one point here over the next three weeks. And then that game against the Cowboys, uh, and I guess it would be December 11th, Sunday night, would be for first place.
2: Yeah. I and mean, I think that game, uh, you know, a couple of weeks is definitely going to have implications on the NFC, you know, NFC's race, no matter what, because. I think it's very possible the the Cowboys slip up here. I mean, they don't have an easy stretch coming up. They got the Ravens, the Redskins at home, and at the Vikings. So you could easily find a loss there. I Man, I know Minnesota's in a bit of a tailspin, but you know we were out there. That's not an easy place to play. So wouldn't be shocked if if that's someone they uh, kind of slip up. And obviously, the Redskins game is gonna be tough in the division. I think the thing we are talking about earlier about the Giants schedule, the kind of the blessing and the curse is it's all in front of them. I mean, those last five games are all, you know, take the Steelers out of the equation, but the last four games are all against teams that are going to be jockeying for playoff position and going to be jockeying for wild card or even the division, like we said with the Cowboys. So, hey, that's thats all you can ask for. I mean, you know, you don't want to have to try and back in or need help. I mean, if they go out and take care of business, basically the rest of the way, I, I wouldn't say they control their own destiny because I don't know how the math works out, but more or less they do. I mean, if they if they take care of business uh, this last uh, seven games, they're gonna be in the playoffs. And it comes down to that. And again, I think that's a good thing. You you want to have a shot at the Redskins, at the Eagles, at the Cowboys to get in. You don't want again, you don't want to see them, you're, you're pulling for the Ravens to beat somebody. No, you want to just uh control your own destiny. So I think that's uh you know that's gonna be really exciting some really fun to watch. Semi I was gonna say semi related topic. The way
1: things are shaping up, that game against the Cowboys, I think it's December eleventh will be the Biggest game the Giants play since Super Bowl forty six.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm racking my brain, but you're right, James. I mean, you, you can make, I mean, yeah, no, it, it, because all the it's not just like like last year they were they what they were six and seven and they were that kind of team that just were playing I guess meaningful December football, but nothing like being eight and three or nine and three or eight and four whatever they'll be and first place on the line against the Cowboys and potentially, I mean, the crazy part is the Giants are a five seed today as we do this podcast on a Tuesday. But, James, if we project this out, I mean, they could be playing not only for to catch the Cowboys, but you you do the math. I mean, that would equal a bye in the NFC. If, if if they're that good and they overtake the Cowboys for the division, we're talking about home field advantage type of stuff here.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, look, if the Giants somehow win the division and get a bye, and they're only a half game in the loss column behind the uh, the uh, the Seahawks. I mean, if they get home field advantage – then you throw everything out the window, and suddenly it, beco- it actually becomes this, this team has to think we have to get to Houston or bust. But we got to get there first. But I was just saying, you know, even if they don't beat the Steelers you know, and they just win these next two games and lose to Pittsburgh, I mean, that's still going to be a colossal game, and I think that's the one thing the Giants can kind of hang their hat on. They already beat the Cowboys, and they're going to get the Cowboys at home, primetime at MetLife Stadium, the place will probably not even know what to do with itself because it's been so long since there's been a game of this magnitude there. And uh, it'll be fun, but they got to get there first.
0: Before we look ahead to this particular game on Sunday against Chicago, uh, you know, a, a Bears team that looks like they're getting worse by the minute here, um, a couple thoughts maybe from you guys on the ceremony at halftime. I mean, you guys, I know you're working, you're covering the game, but that was from what I saw and watching some of the videos after the game. It was pretty cool. I, I thought the Giants inducted those three together, so um, you know all three so important in what they became uh, over the last decade. Probably those three and Eli Manning, maybe the four most important figures in the Giants. Uh, the two titles that they built and won. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on the ceremony and the fact they put Corsi and and Coughlin and Tuck in together?
2: I mean, I got to be a little bit of a wet blanket on here. I thought it was kind of awkward to have Coughlin going in. You know, I don't I don't see what the rush was. I mean, essentially he got you know, fired, whatever, eight months ago. And I just seemed to, like, and everything was fine. He got a great reception. I think, obviously, the fan base appreciates everything he did. But I think it might have even been better if it was five years down the road because it's just, to me, again, it's going to be strange. I don't know if the Jaguars are on the schedule anytime soon, but he might be back here with some crappy team in two years and you're kind of rooting against him. So uh, I felt like that was a little rushed. But, again, I'm not a fan, so it's not really, uh, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter on that. Uh, even Tuck, I mean, he just, you know, he just retired probably could have waited a little on him but no big deal there and then of course yeah, i think it's great to get him in uh, he's obviously getting up there in years and and was obviously a big part of putting those two super bowl teams together um but for me just the biggest takeaway is it just felt a little strange to put coughlin in so soon and i, I think they're also you know it's it's a franchise obviously been around for a long time but uh, they got i think 45 people in at some point you want to I think I want to make it stay exclusive. So I think waiting a little longer might might even be beneficial in that respect. I don't know if you want everyone who ever played on the Super Bowl teams to be in. Not that I'm saying Tuck doesn't deserve it. I mean, obviously he does. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. So that's just my uh, my cranky sports writer take on it.
0: Well, they host the Jaguars in 2018. So we'll leave that up as a possibility. James, what would you
1: think? I thought it was obviously very nice ceremony, very well done. I, I think it's really kind of interesting how Michael Strahan, you know, has kind of become. I mean, like it, it wasn't even like out of place that you know Michael Strahan, the former Hall of Fame defensive end, was the master of ceremonies for this thing. It was like, and he did a just, good job. He, he did, did a really very good job, job. But it was just that kind of struck me like that's where Michael Strahan is, and kind of like the American conscience. That it's like no one bats an eye that he not not a not a PR guy or not not a Bob Papa, who I think has done the Ring of Honor ceremonies in the past. You know, it was like, oh yeah, Michael Strahan's doing this, and this makes perfect sense. he
2: might have have a future on tv actually he might he he might just make that guy's got a good personality i think he'll be (laughs) all right
1: no i I thought it was it was well done you know obviously you know i think that i understand what dan's saying about the wait for tom but i i think there also probably was maybe some sort of motivation to kind of make it very clear that you know tom and the giants are okay you know that everything's fine uh Tuck, I, I was kind of surprised they put him in, you know, be, just because, you know, if you're going to do this every year, and obviously there's a couple guys, you know, like, you know, the hobby should maybe be in the, the ring of honor, like Leonard Marshall, uh, you know, maybe David Deal, Brandon Jacobs, Plexico Burris, even like, you you have guys that you can add if this is going to be an annual, you know, thing. But I just thought that, you know, a guy like Tuck was, you know, kind of the third banana and, and he would have been the headliner in any other year. Um I thought Tom's speech was funny. I, I still think that, you know, Tom's, you know, Henry, you know, his, his moment at when he, when he left, I still think that, that was, that was the real Tom Coughlin, fire and brimstone speech. You know, this one obviously was a little bit more rushed and a little bit more fluid since he's out there in front of, you know, 78,000 people. But I, I thought it was a good moment. You know, I thought it was kind of funny how he, how Tom Coughlin, Mr. Punctuality delayed the game by just blowing through it. But, uh, you know it was zero zero, like they were ready to start the game, and he was still talking. I thought that was kind of humorous, but although I thought it was a good ceremony, you know obviously and as dan's right it's it's a thing for fans i it's not something that really impacts the the players, I don't think, and certainly not the reporters i mean it's a fan thing, so if it was good for the fans then then it was all worth it.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I don't disagree with either of them. I mean, they could have waited for a couple of these guys or spread it out. It was cool they went in together, but yeah, they they might run out at some point here. I have to kind of squeeze someone who doesn't belong if they keep doing this. All right, let's look ahead to Sunday. We've already kind of displayed thoughts on this. I mean, it's the Bears. They've been awful. There's rumblings about Jay Cutler not preparing for that game or not preparing well enough against Tampa. They got blown out. It's a bad team. It feels like they might change everything down there soon. Uh, they're coming in to MetLife on Sunday. You know, Giants right now about a touchdown favor. They'll probably go up before game time. Any worry from you, Dan, that there's kind of a look ahead? I mean, we did it on this podcast, but that's what we do. You have Odell Beckham after the game talking about getting to Houston. Um, big games coming up against the Steelers and the Cowboys. To me, they might be able to go to Cleveland and not pay attention and win. I'm not sure if you could do that against most other teams. Any, any feeling there might be a look ahead past this Sunday against Chicago?
2: Uh no, I mean that's the only fear. I mean again because you might even look at oh the Bears beat the Vikings, but I think that's kind of their one stand against a division rival because then they respond to get absolutely blown out by Tampa Bay. Uh, the you know Jeffrey getting suspended, Long being out with an injury. I think Jordan Howard they still haven't really said, but you know their running back he could be out. Uh, so there's, there's not a lot going in the Bears' favor. It's a home game for the Giants, and I think one thing that McAdoo has done pretty well is these guys have been prepared. I don't think they've really uh, you know obviously I haven't overlooked anybody not that they're really good enough to do that or they've played a lot of teams that have been pretty good but I can't see them at this point really letting up I mean I'm sure it'll be a game that you know maybe in the second quarter was saying oh boy but I, I just think they should pull away because I mean again the bears they're not playing for anything there's so much unrest there it's not a very good team so uh, I'd be very disappointed if they lose the game and and even so like James said earlier I think this is a game maybe maybe for the writer's sake again we can maybe have an easy running game story where it's not you're writing two leads because it's a one-point game with two minutes to go. But I think this is a game where, again, there there aren't a ton of blowouts in the NFL. But like, let's see, like 34 to 17 or something like that. So at least they're not sweating it out and and needing some late stand or needing to run out the clock. So I, I think that's that's what I expect. And I'd be disappointed if that's not how it plays out. Now, James, I think before the
0: season, you had the Bears as a pretty good team. Now we're not. I'm not bringing that up to uh, you know to to rag on you for it. But do you think there's something to this Bears team that still can? muster some life and, and make Dan have to write two game stories at once? Or do you think this is a, 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 the Giants roll over and get the seven and three?
1: Uh, you know, to go back to that, you know, it's funny. I I remember we were doing the picks and basically we all had the same thing. And in my gut, this told me that the Vikings would not be able to, uh, you, know, I, you know, Sam Bradford would be okay, but they would somehow miss the playoffs. And it looks like that might happen. And I, I just didn't think the NFC East would be that good. So I was like, well, you know, I think those NFC North teams, the Bears and the Lions, were, were better last year than their record indicated. So I just took the Bears just on a whim. Like, I should have written the Lions down. If I'd written the Lions down, I'd look smart right now. No, I look, I think that – I think maybe I said this with Dan in a video we shot after the game on, on Monday night slash early Tuesday morning. With Jay Cutler, I mean, he's an incredibly physically gifted guy. So if he makes a couple of big plays – and makes some big throws, you know, you can be in trouble. That always is something. But uh, this Bears team, they're just such a dumpster fire right now. I, I just can't imagine, you know, I mean, they've they had so many opportunities. Like, they go to Tampa. Tampa's not a great team, and they go belly up there. So I can't imagine they're going to suddenly come into MetLife Stadium with a Giants team that's, you know, feeling it's oats. Oh, it's, it's one four straight, it's just rolling, and, and this is going to suddenly be their big stand. I mean, I, I get the feeling they've quit on – you know, the report was out there quit on Cutler. you got to wonder if they've quit on John Fox. you got to wonder if he's going to be I mean, the thing about it, John Fox is, real quick aside, he got fired in Denver a year before the Giants moved on from Tom Coughlin, and he might get fired in Chicago a year after the Giants made a coaching change. Bad timing for John Fox, a guy who might be here as the head coach if things had been kind of timed out better for him. And maybe that would have been a guy the Giants would have gone after given his history with the team. But, no, I, this Bears team's a mess. I, I just can't see them coming in and being a serious threat to the Giants. So that being said, it'll probably be a tie game in the fourth quarter. And the Giants fans will be sweating. Guys, uh, another fun
0: episode. It should, be a, it should be a fun season down the stretch. Giants-Bears on Sunday. The NFC East looks like top to bottom the best division in all of football. We'll be back next week to talk about it uh, after the Giants take on the Bears and, and I think in all of our minds probably move, to seven and three Dan as always thanks for doing this
2: yeah thanks a lot Joe thanks James you got it Joe
0: and thanks to all of you for listening to episode 73 of talk is cheap right here on NJ.com you can subscribe on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, it's right there for you And, and make sure to leave a rating on iTunes it helps the show grow we'll be back next week